Hey everyone, welcome back to the MNN Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, today we have about five signings to take a look at that happened through the week. And then, because we weren't sure that was going to be enough content, we made a top five list of teams we would want to take over the most and the least. So there's 10 teams on the list total. Um, and we'll go through those at the end if we have enough time. So uh, we'll start with the first signing that happened this week. Dominic Cahoon signed a one-year deal in Edmonton. Uh, I believe it was for 900K. Not a huge signing, but one that um, is notable for not just a Canadian team, but also Edmonton, especially because Cahoon kind of fits the model of exactly what they um, what they want and what they really need, honestly, at this point. Yeah, yeah I like the fit a lot. It's kind of perfect. Yeah, I mean, he's just a, he's a, he's a winger. I, I saw some people about talking about, oh, they have – well, I don't people, I mean Edmonton fans. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But, like, we have one of the deepest left wing cores in the league. It was like, A, very oddly specific. B, I'm really not sure you do. Like, it's it's fine now. Like, it's good. Their wingers are fine. Like, I think there's an obvious upgrade on what they were two years ago if you compare those two rosters. So that's good at least. But um, I saw someone, like – check out this depth, and then they listed uh, maybe Nuge was on it, and then James Neal, and uh, uh, not even Pugliarvi, he's a right winger, Cahoon, Ennis, and then uh, Jujar Kara. I was like, um, if you're bragging about Jujar Kara in any position on your team, even if it's the fifth line left wing, I, I don't think you're that deep of a team. Yeah, and, like, for the left wing specifically, like, for a team that presumably has cup aspirations, like every team with McDavid in their prime, you just assume they do? Like, I would argue their left wing depth was actively terrible before Cahoon, assuming Nuge plays center. And if Nuge plays center, it's a little different, but... Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, I don't really think there's anything to believe that Nuge is playing center. They brought in Kyle, Kyle Turris to be the 3C, and Nuge just... He hasn't played the ton of center lately, you know? So, like, I, I think he'll probably be a winger this year, I would guess. Yeah, and that could make sense if Turris is competent. But even, like, Nuge isn't exactly, like, slam dunk elite first-line talent either. He's no, good. he's, yeah, like, I don't know. Maybe on the wing he's closer to a first-line winger. But, um, but yeah, either way, like, I don't know. And I don't want to dump on the transaction. It's pretty good, like. Cahoon's a solid uh, forward. I want Ottawa to get in on him. I thought that was the exact kind of guy that could have taken a swing on, but they didn't, and that's all right. And, um, you know, Buffalo, some people are like, well, why did Buffalo walk away? It turns out he was asking for about 1.7 mil from Buffalo and overestimated his market, so settled for less in Edmonton, which uh, doesn't happen too, too often, but, I mean, it makes enough sense, right? Like, I'd definitely choose this Edmonton roster over this Buffalo roster as it's currently constructed. Yeah, exactly, especially since the uh, Buffalo Sabres only have one good center and they just signed, like, a guy who might be the best left winger in the league next year. And yep. even if not, Taylor Hall will still almost certainly get those Eichel minutes, plus they have Jeff Skinner, whereas in Edmonton, you're like, one, Nuge is having a weird night, so they put him with Dreisaitl away from skating beside Connor McDavid. Honestly, you might be skating with Connor McDavid. Like, last year, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, the, the one line was Nuge, Dreisaitl, and um... – uh, what's his name? Yamamoto. And so yeah, like, you might just be, it was, and so, you know, like you're, you're either like Tyler Ennis not working away from Connor McDavid or Tyler Ennis playing on the right of Connor McDavid away from just playing with Connor McDavid, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I don't think the Oilers are exactly a cup threat, but they're definitely far more likely to make the playoffs and everything than the Sabres are. 
assuming Oscar Clefbaum can get back by the end of the year, like I don't, the goaltending is what really worries me, but the rest of the roster is like, just when you have that high-end talent, you need such little, like this is probably the best roster they've had in four years, right? Yeah, like it actually looks decent right now. Since the, yeah, since the year they traded, but the year after they traded Taylor Hall away, like the, the the year with Taylor Hall, with McDavid's rookie year, I think it was. That was probably the best roster we've seen with them. They just didn't let it play through because McDavid broke his collarbone thirty or twenty games into the season or whatever it was, right? But like, yeah, that. yeah but since then, like this is probably one of the best rosters I've seen coming out of Edmonton, just all round in terms of like it feels like they should be able to have all four lines that are not an absolute atrocity, um, which just has not been the case uh, for the past three years. Yeah. Like I, I still don't think they're good, but like, unlike the past three years, I just don't think their depth is like actively miserable. Which like, when you have McDavid and dry up top, then I guess that's all you need. We're a ways away from doing predictions or anything like that, but with how weak the Pacific is, I, like, it would just be such a disappointment if this team doesn't make it in, in my opinion. Like, the Golden Knights are the only team that's um, easily into the Pacific, right? And yeah, then you have. I've seen the, them above the Canucks and Calgary, too. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I think it'll be them, Canucks, and Calgary, the three teams that'll be competing for those last two and maybe even a wild card spot. Because on the other side, like, the one thing we talk about quick is Dallas. Um, they got, they learned that, um, Sagan and Ben Bishop will be out long-term. I think it was like six months or something like that. Maybe not quite that long, but it's a long time. And, like, they might be in some trouble. Yeah, like, if because, like, I guess it's a good thing they signed that Kudobin contract, given that Ben Bishop's out. But, like, Dallas isn't – I know they went to the cup final, but I don't strike them as, like, a super strong team for the next regular season either. No, I wasn't high on them to begin with. You know, I thought they were kind of going to be a team that fights for a wild card slash – third divisional spot again this year. Um, and it's been at least five months for both of them. So, uh, you know, that puts them at the time range of what, November, December, January, February, March. So probably two and a half months into the season. So like, yeah, they're, they're so reliant on their goalies too. That Bishop injury could kill them. Yeah. And like the jets are one non Hellebuck Vesna season away from being just one of the worst teams in the league. Now, granted, they have stats in this year. I think they'll be a little better in terms of their on-ice results. But, like, their goaltending was so hot that it's um, not impossible, but it's very, uh, it is very possible to see how they take a step back, too. So, it's like, with this Oilers roster, like, I just, the especially in the Pacific, it's just such an open thing. Like, the Coyotes, I think, are going to be pretty trash this year. The Ducks are going to be awful. The Kings are a year away. I think the Sharks will be better, but I don't think they're going to be that much better, you know? Like, so there's an easy spot where they have to be top four in this division. And like, I don't see any reason why they can't be top two. Yeah, I completely agree. The Sharks like tail outcomes, like a far right tail, like everything goes right for them. They can compete with Edmonton, I guess. But like, I think it's a pretty big disaster if the Sharks are competing with you and you're the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, like if the Sharks are like second in the division, either the division is just needs to be set on fire or – you know that literally Carlson's back to Pete Carlson form. Brent Burns is having a 2017 season. All of their forwards are clicking, and somehow the pair of uh, Martin Jones and David Dubnik are actually making saves, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah, not at all. Like so, uh, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think, you know, this is just 
it's um it's such a low bar for Edmonton to clear that this is the bar, but like I think this is legitimately probably the best roster we've seen coming out of Edmonton in three or four years. Yeah, especially if they play the defensemen from Bakersfield that or that have been in Bakersfield previous seasons, like they look like they could have a decently deep blue line for the first time in forever, assuming Clefbaum's good to go. Because if they don't have him up top, then it gets dicey. Yeah, I mean, and Clefbaum's not he's for um um, the rumor is that he's going to be out pretty much all season, which hurts them a lot. But, um, you know, that's kind of why they went out and got Tyson Barry. So, you know, you start the year with Barry, Nurse, Larson, Jones, Bear, Russell, and then you also have um, Bouchard and Broberg as guys you could call up. Um, like, that's not – it's still not a horrible – it's not a great decor, don't get me wrong. But, like, again, the decor has been so bad for so many years that, like, if Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear even, like – second pair defensemen this is a very just a much better looking decor than what they've had in a long time yeah it's greatly improved i'd be a little worried about the stress on the decor with clefbaum out because clefbaum wasn't even like a great top guy but like at least he could do it whereas now they sure they have depth but they have nobody who can competently fill in up top yeah i mean like clefbaum was really bad at 5v5 last season like you know, and yeah. honestly, over the past three seasons, he hasn't had great results. He's just been a god on the power play, which, again, they brought in the guy that they hope can exactly replace him, you know? Well, not maybe not even exactly, but, um, you know, the, that's the reason they went out and got Tyson Berry is because they had a guy that, like, they had an obvious need for their uh, power play this offseason, and they went out and got it, you know? Like, like honestly, yeah, last – He's going to be dynamite on that power play. Yeah, like, with how bad Barry was last season, like, if you compare their last season results just in terms of uh, RAPM, like, Barry was easily better at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, That's much Clef better. Bomb. Yeah, like, Clefbaum was just negative in everything. Barry was negative defensively, but also, like, positive offensively in everything. So it just ended up he was pretty much the definition of a replacement-level player where Clefbaum was below replacement. Now, you go to a multi-season sample, and – um it's uh, an edge to Clefbaum in a little bit. You know, he's just above above replacement in terms of his usage. And Barry, uh, well, we all know the Tyson Barry story. He's a liability at five on five in his own end, pretty good in the offensive end and dynamite on the power play. So um, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's definitely going to be something to it. But like, if, if you can get Caleb Jones and um, Ethan Bear even being like, somewhat respectable defenseman, I think that this is going to be an okay defense score. Yeah, like it shouldn't be all right. Bar, barring proper usage, of course. Yes. Like, um, you know, but I think at this time, like, you know, Chris Russell last year was their fifth most used defenseman, and by the end of the year, it looked like he was going to be the sixth. So, like, I don't really – I we, like, you know, everyone loved the meme on them for Chris Russell, and rightfully so when they signed that contract. But um, the way he's being deployed now, it kind of looks like they just understand that he's their sixth defenseman and he's going to be used like that. Yeah. They actually know that he's a bottom pair guy. And as long as you use him like that, he is perfectly fine. Yep, exactly. So um, let's go to the next contract. This one's a lot bigger. Anthony Mantha, four years, $5.7 million AAV. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? So I'm a little surprised he got this much money, but I don't think it's a bad, like, I think this is a fantastic contract. Yeah, he's. I think he's absolutely worth five point seven. Um, but you know, I, I was a little surprised. Maybe at the same time, I don't know. Like, uh, he was almost a point game on the freaking Red Wings last year. Like, he deserved. Yeah. To, but. Oh yeah, and like he, all his underlying metrics are great too. So it's like he probably like 
you could have paid him. Some team could have paid him seven million. I probably wouldn't have like blinked that much either. And like it takes until he's thirty, so you'll probably get paid again. So I don't know. Like this is this seems like a fair enough deal. I think good yeah, for could've... good for Detroit. But like you know, Mantha's gonna hopefully try and cash in in four more years and go from there. Yeah, it's one of those things where like the big argument against offer sheeting is it would drive RFA contracts up. But like if you could drive this contract up to what you said seven million, I still think it's a value deal. Yeah, like um, yeah, like he's really, really good. He's he's uh, like under the radar good just because of how bad Detroit was last year. Yeah, him and Larkin both would get a lot more like attention by at least analytics nerds if they played on an even somewhat competent team. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I don't know much more to say about that. I mean, this team is still garbage. They're probably going to be garbage for unfortunately, like unfortunately for them, they're going to be pretty bad for the the remainder of this contract. I would assume, but yeah, they might be planning to be competitive by the end of that. Contract. Yeah. But I mean, like this is a contract that should be so easily tradable. Like I, if I'm a team, let's say there was four years left. This was signed two years ago and he's put up those results over the past two years. If he's trying to look, move out of here, which obviously he's not, he just resigned, but I would assume that there should be a bunch of teams like trying to get all over that. Yeah, I would think so. I can imagine a bidding war for him. If he keeps plugging along at like a 25 plus goal pace with amazing underlying metrics, like, that's just the dream player for mm-hmm. relatively. Yeah. So, I mean, good, great signing for Detroit. And, you know, I think uh, Iserman continues to keep them on the right path. Um, like I haven't really hated too much of what he's done, especially not this offseason. I thought pretty much everything's been a win so far. Yeah. And their cap sheet looks so clean now. Yeah. It looks so much better. Um, you know, so like I tease the best and worst that five teams, um, they're not on my best five by any means, but they're no longer near on my worst five. Yeah, and they, they should have, if we didn't have podcasts then, but, like, if you're doing worst teams to take over starting in, like, 2015, they've been, like, one or two for worst teams that entire time, but now they're definitely not on that list anymore. Yeah, like, um, I think this will be our third year of doing the top five and worst five. I mean, it used to be ten or something that we do because we did a whole episode on it, but this is, I think, our third year, and I think they've been one or two for both of us the past two seasons. Yep, and now they good. Just, Yep, just like that, it's like nice. Like, it, it, oh, well, not nice. It's not good, but like, it's it's nowhere near as bad. You and you understand where they're going too, right? Yeah, so. like they still have bad deals, but they all end so soon that like they're not going to be competitive. Like those deals aren't going to hurt their ability to win, anyways. When they yeah, and and you know that management now doesn't plan on winning, right? Like the biggest question even two years ago when Ken Holland was there was like, okay, like we would want to take this team over and just tear it to the ground. But like, would management be okay with that for three or four years? And now it's very obvious that, yeah, that's the exact plan. Yeah, exactly. And their only contracts more than or three or more years, just Larkin and Mantha, which are both great value deals. It's exactly. Perfect. Yep. Um, another deal that I, uh, I, I liked, um, but you know, it's a, uh, uh, for a team that I don't know, even know how they're going to keep guys under the cap here, but Ryan Pulak, two year deal with the New York Islanders, $5 million cap hit uh, per year. I think seeing what the Taves one came in on and on a two-year deal instead, this one kind of makes sense to me. Um, but they, uh, they really don't – the bigger thing with this deal is that they don't, in my opinion anyways, is uh, it just leaves them less room to sign Barzell. Yeah, I have – like uh, the sins of Lou Lamorello's past are finally catching up with him here. Like I have no idea what the hell the plan is now. Yeah, they have 3.9 million in projected cap space. So like – 
Like they need to shed money and they need to shed it bad because I think at minimum Barzell is signing $8 million. And even that I think would be on like a one year deal. Yeah, exactly. And that's a bad thing. Even if you sign him on that, because Barzell's at the time where you can get him on a long-term deal on like one of the best value contracts in the league, assuming you have enough money to afford him. And guess what? Even if you signed a one-year deal, your cap sheet looks worse next year because um, you have no more contracts coming up. Like Boychuk, Letty, Pulak, Hickey, uh, every one of their forwards, but Sazik, like they're all signed for at least one more year, if not multiple. Um, like Clutterbuck's only went up at three and three point three next year, uh, but but then Bolivier's up at two point one. He's going to want to raise, and Michael Del Cole's up at seven hundred k. He's probably going to want to raise too, even if it's nine to nine hundred thousand or like one million or whatever, right? So like you might have less cap space to work with next year than you currently do right now because Adam Pellick and Elias Sorokin are both up too. Like if Sorokin yes, comes in, Sorokin's good this year. Yeah, like if you're good this year, you're not complaining. But at the same time, if you're good this year, it's probably because Sorokin was unreal. And if he puts up a 920 this year, what's he asking for? It's more than $2 million. That's for sure. Yeah. A 920 after just torching the KHL and like clearly being the franchise goalie going forward, that's not going to be cheap. No, like he's got to be asking for five plus at least, you know, like for a couple years, you know? So uh, they're kind of, it's weird to say, but like, because you know, their best player needs sign this year, but they're, they're going to be in just as much, if not more trouble next year. Yep. I do. Um, I like the Pulak contract, but I do actually think they made a mistake giving it to him instead of Devin Taves. I would have much rather paid Devin Taves as well. Um, I mean, I would have rather paid both of them if I'm being completely honest, but got to yeah, get your them and not um, Cal Clutterbug, Pajot, uh, uh, Komarov, $3 million. Casey Sazik is 3.3. Yeah, Andrew Ladd, five and a half. Like, Nick Letty, five and a half for two more years. Johnny Boychuk, six for two more years. Yeah, there's a number of contracts I probably – even Varlamov, three, five mil for three more years. Like, I don't know. Seems not great to me, but – Yeah, that's that's ugly. Good for Pulak, though, I guess. He gets his money. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he's – I mean, him and uh, Taves were a great pairing together, but – uh, Pulak last year, anyways, his goals four per 60 was the highest thing out of anything. And that, that seems the least sustainable for a defenseman at least, but it's been yeah, like that for three years. So, or for parts of three years anyway. So. Yeah. He's got the booming shot. So like maybe it's slightly more sustainable than your average defenseman, but like he still is a defenseman. I don't think he's driving on a shooting percentage to some extreme degree that like yeah. Eric Carr. Eric Carlson didn't even have that big of a gap in his prime, if any, actually. I'll have to go look at that. But I don't, yeah, like I don't think Pulak has the magic formula to do it. No, uh, yeah, me either. But um, yeah, I don't know. Good for him. And I, I don't think it's that bad of a contract for the team. It's just, it, uh, it, it doesn't even look worse. It's just things look worse when you look at all the horrible contracts surrounding it. Yeah, exactly. Um. Oh, okay. Um, and then uh, Strom is the next one. Ryan Strom. He signs a two-year deal of $4.5 million. This one was surprising to me. I don't know how – well, I do understand how he got paid this much because um, Evolving Hockey had him at 4.9 for two years um, because it's just how much they played him. They played him on the first power play last year. They played him, I think, penalty kill. They, he was their second C, and it was very obvious. Sometimes even first C if, you know, they need to split Zibanejad and uh, Panarin up, I think. But, like – so they played him that much. You have to pay him that much. I don't think he is anything close to a 2C. 
Yeah, he's one of those weird ones where, like, I actually think he had a decent year last year, but if you cling to your priors even the slightest bit, like, there's no history of Ryan Strome being good. No. No, like, not, or, like, not, I don't, like, define good, I guess. I don't know. Like, I call him a three-ish C. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, but, like... like using him like a Swiss army knife like the Rangers did. Yeah, but and paying him $4.5 million. Yeah, I don't want to pay him that, but if you're going to use him that way, you kind of have to pay him that way. Oh, I, I guarantee they had no other option. Um, You know, like, I, I almost guarantee it. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those classic contracts where everybody's like, well, he's not even that good. How does he get that? It's like, well, if you play him like he is that good, you kind of have to pay him like he's at least not completely replaceable because you acted like easier because if they would have went to arbitration i bet you that number would have been higher as stupid as that sounds you know like i don't even think he put up that many points but it's just like if they went to arbitration i would have almost guaranteed that he would have been like i want to be paid five and a half million dollars or whatever it is this is the reason why you know i scored 59 points in 70 games almost a point a game player i was used in literally every situation by them power play pk five on five all in the top two, like how is that not worth the comparables around the league, right? Yeah, like a 60-point, 60, 20-goal 60 center who kills penalties is, does not come cheap, even if obviously we don't believe Strom is that. But, like, yeah, good luck convincing him otherwise because you spent the entire year acting as if he is that. So, yep, kind of exactly. Makes it yep, exactly. So, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much more to say on that. I uh, continue – like the 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 Rangers, um, I just continue to dislike their off season, which is weird because they added Alexi Lafreniere. You know, like I, I shouldn't not even their off season, just what they've done in the past year. You know, like yeah, like so they said they rebuilt, they were rebuilding. Everybody likes everything they did, and then they just randomly decided after like six months that's enough rebuilding, and well, yeah, most. And- and everyone oh freaking praises him. Like, like all the mainstream media praise him. Like, oh, yeah, look at how quick they turn it around. It's like, well, yeah, when you have the first and sec- second and first overall picks in back-to-back years from not even being close to the bottom of the 10 because you also signed the best free agent to hit the market, or, like, the second best free agent, maybe, if you want to argue Tavares, it's fine, to hit the market, like, ever or in, like, a decade, pretty much, in the cap era. And then you also had guys who, you know, you didn't sell when you probably should have and guys like Chris Kreider because you already had a decent team. And then you also had some prospects that haven't done shit, but everyone praises them for it anyways. Like, but, you know, no, sure, quick turnaround. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I I guess it is a quick turnaround when you have two goalies who are already in your system before you announced you were rebuilding. Um, The Adam Fox pickup was great. Ryan Lingren was great. I'm not going to take away from that, but, like, you went out and traded for Jacob Truba, 25 years old, who and paid him $8 million per, and he's a second-pair defenseman. Like, like what kind of great turn? I, I don't know. Like, I've yelled about this for so long. I just – I don't get where the love of just, oh, quote-unquote, like, you need you need luck to be good, sure. But, like, people act as if um, – and they even messed up with the Capo Caco thing so far. I'm not saying he's going to be a bust, but he was actively one of the worst skaters we've ever seen yet last year. Yeah, like it's almost hard to like you can't really be over dramatic about how bad Kaka was. He was that bad last year. Yeah, like he was just he was atrocious. He was he was horrible. Like 
So I just, I don't know. Like, I just, I will never understand the praise that they get for quote-unquote turning around because they got second overall in a lottery where I think they were ninth overall and first overall in a lottery where I think they were 11th overall. And, like, they look like they have a stud in Lafreniere, and that's great for them. But also, like, the rest of what they've done just hasn't made sense with rebuilding, and it's not going to make sense in about three years when their cap sheet looks like absolute hell when they need to sign guys like Alexi Lafreniere. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't love it at all either. I think they're going to be in sort of, like, mediocristan too, and it's going to hurt them. Like, I don't think they're going to be bad enough to tank next year, but no, nobody no, has up threat because they're not that good either no they're gonna be like right in the wild card mix again um you know if there was expanded playoffs they'd probably make it without it they'll probably be literally on pace for what they were this year where they're gonna miss by a point or two they were gonna miss by a point or two you know like they're gonna be sixth fifth anywhere from fourth to no not even fourth. well no probably fifth to seventh in their own division but um you know just miss the wild card by a couple points Yep, I'm pretty confident that the uh, Hurricanes, Flyers, Caps, and Penguins are all better teams. The Islanders are a toss-up with them. Yeah, and I mean, I after think. the past, yeah, and the past, like, last year, I don't think the Jackets are going to be, but, like, if the Jackets get the same goaltending the Rangers are, they're going to be close-ish to them as well, you know? So, yeah, I don't, just, I don't the, just the Devils that I think are obviously worse. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I I don't get it because people are going to praise them this year too. But like, oh, they missed the playoffs by three points. You know, this team's looking good. It's like, I guess. But like, you're going to like in two years, Panarin's going to be 31. Kreider's going to be 31. Zabanaja's going to be 29. Strom's going to be 29. Bujnevich is going to be 27. Truba's going to be 28. D'Angelo's going to be 27. Brendan Smith is why well, Brendan Smith probably not going to be on the team in two years. But like, that's the core kind of thing, right? Like, and I know you have the young guys, but like, the first four guys I named are the guys you're paying. So, like, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't get it. Basically, just, like, um, Lafreniere and Kako better be ready, like, now. Like, Kako needs to be at least just, like, a third-line winger. Yes. And, then, like, 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 this year, Kako needs to be a third-line winger, and then so he can grow on top of that if they want any chance of – because, like – Literally with and, – and obviously we see it in the time. Like like the Capitals were quote-unquote past their window and they ended up winning a cup in 2018, right? So like it can happen, but it's like if you look at the pay structure versus the age of this team, their window's what? In the next three years, right? Yeah, the Capitals also just like didn't have a, a half, half of a core that was aging when Ovi was like 19 and locked in for forever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Capitals were the best team in the league for a decade, and then it just, like, locked out the, the one team. The one time they weren't, they actually won the Cup. But they still had the same core together, and it was a veteran core. It's not like – like, this team reminds me of what the Flyers look like right now. They're going to look like that in a couple years. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, as much as I think Ovi has been overrated at certain points in his career, even though Lafreniere has been billed as a generational talent, it's pretty hard to pencil any prospect in as even that – close to like peak OV. Yeah, I mean like how many think of the first rounders in the past couple of years. I mean like I think our minds are kind of tainted just because of how good the Matthews McDavid Eichel stretch was where it was like you got back-to-back years with just stars and then like there are some guys on the top like Pedersen came in, but like even if I'm not mistaken like did Pedersen play straight out of his draft year? I don't think so. 
No, he did not. Yeah, that so was... he took an extra year, and it's like, like um, even like, um, why am I blanking on the defenseman's name down in Dallas? Heiskanen? Heiskanen, yeah. Like, he looks unreal now, too, but it took him a year or two to get there, right? Like, this is, I think, his third year of pro hockey, and, you know, now he's getting to that absolute just stud level, you know? Makar took a full year in college. So it's like, it's not like you can just expect these guys. And maybe he will, because maybe he is that good, but you can't just expect him to come out and be unreal. Yeah. It's one of those things like somebody will be that good, but like, it's always tough. Like Lafreniere is more likely than the vast majority of players, but it's still not that likely because most guys aren't because there's only like five guys who are that good ever. Kind of Exactly. So, um, um, one more. Uh, this is not a big name. I think a lot of people might not even know who this is, but Vladislav Gavrikov got a three-year deal at $2.8 million per year this year or today. Um, Gavrikov plays for the Blue Jackets if, um, because like I didn't find out about him until like this off season or not this postseason when he was playing the Leafs actually. Um, Me too. Yeah. So he plays for the Blue Jackets and uh, I think he only, he just came over this year. Had a pretty strong year. You know, he put up actually good defensive results. Um, not really anything offensively, but had a good defensive year anyways. And um, they reward him with a two-year deal or three-year deal, sorry. He had a pretty reasonable cap hit where it's – even if he's like a fourth defenseman, I think this is um, a fine deal. Yeah, it's one of those things where like paying a dude whose best features is one year worth of penalty kill and even strength defense results – is really, really dicey, but like he's a 24 year old who played his first year on North American ice, who put up great results. And even if he's worse than he was last year, it's hard to not be worth 2.8 million. So I like this deal a lot. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's kind of like, um, if you took the Zaitsev deal and split it in half in terms of AAV and term, it's kind of like that, where it's like, you hope he grows another, you know, step maybe, but even if he doesn't, like 2.8 is probably going to be fine for what he brings, and it's only three years anyways, right? So, Yeah, exactly. It's like if Zaitsev was slightly better and younger and then signed a contract for half as much when he did it. Yep. So I don't know. I don't see a downside to that for uh, the Blue Jackets. I just thought we should bring it up. Um, you know, pretty decent signing. Good for him for getting paid. Yeah, exactly. All right, on to the best and worst teams. Do you want to start with the good ones or the bad ones first, Chase? Um, that's a good question. Should we start with the good? Sure. Um, so we'll go from five to one, I guess, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, I'll give by number five. I, I feel like this is too low for them, but, like, I don't know. The four teams in front of them I just thought are so, like, either so good or just so much potential to be good that I have Toronto here. Um, yeah, I have them higher, but, yeah. Yeah, like, I, like it's – it's kind of the argument. So, like, what we did, so our criteria, we threw out ownership, um, relatively speaking anyways. Um, we just kind of pictured – and it's not for the next two years. It's like you need to build a long-term contender with this team. So, I don't know, what, four or five years, right? Um, and so, for me, that kind of bumped them down a little bit too just because, like, you know, again, they haven't made it out of the first round. But if they were threatening for a cup in the next two years, that wouldn't shock anyone. But, like, it's not like we would get any credit for this team either, right? So – um, that kind of bummed that on a little bit for me, but yeah, I mean, like it's, it's hard to argue with just the, the riches of talent and resources they have, but also, um, there's a team that is on my list anyways, that ownership, um, definitely help, not including ownership, definitely helped them here. Not including ownership definitely hurts the Toronto Maple Leafs in my opinion, because they just have access to everything in the world. But if you're not including that, then 
you know, it like it levels them off a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's not like baseball where it's the ultimate perk, but like Toronto being able to pay $1.8 million or whatever it was to take Robin Lanner just to like buy, I think it was a third round pick or something. Like yeah. that's a pretty huge asset to have that very yeah, or teams can do. Just like the ability to pay for how many ever scouts you need in Europe and Russia and everywhere. So you can just find guys out of nowhere. Like that that's like incredibly important compared to like, and maybe not even like, you know, it's not vital or anything. Like we've seen teams draft with a lower thing, but just being able to have eyes on guys. So you even know who guys are is a good thing. Yeah, that's fair. See, uh, I have so a- who- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Tell me where you got them. Item higher item two, just cause they have the long-term pieces. They have no bad contracts currently and only one that really has massive downside potential with Taveras. So I think just the, the hardest thing to acquire is an Austin Matthews type player. And that's just such a great piece to have going long-term with a decent prospect pool, great surrounding talent that I think you could win for a long time with this team. Yeah. I mean, I think they absolutely have to be top five, you know, and some, and some people will laugh at them and all that's bias or whatever, but like, they just it, it's undisputable that they have all the top end talent they probably need and now like what did what did they get praised for doing this offseason working around the the edges of the team and trying to fill out their bottom six with just like gritty more depth guys that improve their bottom, third and fourth line you know and and adding a top four defenseman which they now look pretty good at for the next couple of years so yeah exactly like they just they're not a perfect team. They're not even particularly close to it. They're probably only like the fifth most likely or sixth most likely team team to win the cup, but just everything that's super hard to find and important they have essentially. Yeah. And so who did you, who did you have at five? I had the Carolina hurricanes. Okay. So I had them higher. I had them all the way up at two. So our okay. two and five switch. Carolina. Yeah. So I like Carolina. I would be, really really interested in acquiring another high-end forward with Carolina so like um pre-Taveras I think it was the back to excited podcast was talking about how like the Leafs could really really use like one more high-end piece and it wasn't particularly obvious where that piece comes from I think Carolina's in that same boat which is why I have them slightly lower yeah, I mean, that's definitely fair. Um, they definitely – I mean, I think that, like, if they added a top-end forward here, like, uh, like even, like, just, I don't know, through free agency, let's say it's a John Tavares type. I don't know who that would even be right now, but – or let's say they offer sheet um, Barzell. Well, not going to happen. Not going to happen, right? But if they did it and it worked out, they would have to be the cup favorites, right? If not, they have to be two, I think, behind, like, Colorado – yeah, like if they if they could get a Barzell level player, they would be just amazing. Oh, Assuming that Tampa Bay has to have kick people out the door, then they'd be the favorites in the East, I would think. Yeah, like just so like I don't know, like that that good of a roster. And now, like I granted, um, they actually picked up, in my opinion, some bad money this season, like with the Brady Shea contract. That's that's not good. Um, I don't know why they did that, but um, you know, other than that, like they don't really have any bad contracts on their books. Jordan Stahl's not amazing, but. I would say he's a little bit below a $6 million player. It's not like he's like a $1 million player making six mil. Like he's still a useful enough forward. And then after that, it's just like their good guys are just on some sweetheart deals. They're going to need to pay Dougie Hamilton after this coming year, but Jacob Slavin's a legitimate like top 20 defenseman. He makes 5.3 mil for five more years. Um, Brett Pesci makes four mil for four more years. Uh, Sebastian Aho makes 8.4 for four years. 
Tebow Teravine in 5.4 for four years. So it's like you just have such an obvious window to go for with this team. And then even once it's up, um, if we're again, if we're excluding ownership, like there's nothing to say that you can't keep the window alive if you make some moves here. Yeah, exactly. Like that Svechnikov Aho is just such top tier pieces to build around going forward when you already have such a great surrounding cast. And then for talking about going forward specifically, like their biggest question marks are all in net, but like that's what matters the absolute least going forward because basically nobody has a certainty in net going forward. So it's not that big of a problem. Yeah, exactly. And like, I love their draft this year. So, you know, I think their prospect pool looks all right. They have Ryan Suzuki in it from last year, 19 year old center. Um, you know, their defense is already stacked and they still have, you know, maybe Jake Bean will break through. I don't think he's going to be a top four or anything like that anymore, but like this year they picked up Seth Jarvis who looks unreal. Uh, Noel Gundler could be really good in the future. You know, there was a couple other guys that people seem to really like uh, uh, Zion Nybeck in the um, fourth round, I think. So like they have a bunch of guys who are like their prospect pool looks pretty good as well going forward, which like is something of importance as well. Yeah, exactly. This is like year three or four of the smart people we listen to being like, my God, the Hurricanes crushed that draft, which will presumably pay dividends down the road to a roster that's already really good. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was my number two, uh, year five, or two and five split. I should also mention I had an honorable mention in six just because I couldn't fit them on, but LA was my honorable mention. Uh, I think the Dowdy and Kopitar contracts hurt them a little bit. Um I still believe that I think you could maybe move one or two of those, but now with the pandemic, that might be way harder. You know, I was pretty confident in last year because Doughty's value had not tanked even a little bit this year. It definitely did. And with the pandemic, I don't think you would be able to move it. So that's why they bumped down to six. And I, but I still figure like just with how good of their um, future looks, they should deserve an, an honorable mention. Yeah. I like that as an honorable mention. Mine is a team that I think you're going to have ranked. I got the same honorable mention yeah so i got them up a little bit we'll get to them uh four i have the edmonton oilers um, yeah I so have edmonton we, four too. nice um yeah so we talked about this a little bit earlier but uh a it's kind of hard not to have the team that has Connor mcdavid on their roster as a top five team you want to take over um just because there's so much talent with that one player alone but like i mentioned it before like the biggest problem i think two years ago with um Edmonton was that you looked at their books and it was like, this is kind of an ugly situation. They've, they've gotten through that mostly, you know, like um, the, the James Neal trade is just one of the best ones that I've, I can remember in the longest time for, you know, going right for them anyways. Right. Like being able to flip Milan Lucic for James Neal is just uh, that was a work of magic. Even if James Neal is only quote unquote, only a 20 to 25 goal scorer right now, like that's so much better than what Milan Lucic brings to you. And, I don't like, I don't like the Cassian deal. It's 3.2, but like, it's not like they have any, like when the couple of years ago, when we first started this podcast, uh, we had them almost at five at times just because like there was the, the, the Chris Russell deals and just like a, a whole bunch of those deals where it's like, geez, like, what are you going to do to get around this now? It's not great, but at the same time, their book looks a lot less work, uh, less, less bad than it did a couple of years ago. Yeah, this is, I think, year three of this doing it. And I think you, you've had them ranked every time, and I've either had them five or I've even had them unranked once. And I'm back to turning the corner just because basically everything you said we've already talked about. Like, it's not a great – they don't have great depth, but, like, Connor McDavid is just Connor McDavid. It's so hard to turn down going forward, and it's no longer a complete wasteland around them. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're telling me all, not all, but most of what you have to do as a GM every year is just try and find the Tyler Ennises and the Dominic Cahoons of the world, and that's going to be the bulk of your offseason, give me that every single day of the week, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, like, it's still a bit of a wasteland around them, but now it's a far cheaper wasteland, so it's fine. Yes, exactly. And it's like, it's a cheaper wasteland, and it's like, you know it's going to be a bit of a wasteland, but it's like, it's a wasteland where once in a while you'll find a nickel on the ground. So there's something shiny in there, right? Like, um, so we both have that four. So three, three is where I had the senators. Um, I don't know. This is probably a little bit of bias, probably a little too high. It's just the, the thing that with me is just how good their, um, prospect pool slash young guys look with just how little space they have dedicated to anything long-term. Like, yeah, I want a different direction with the Canucks, but it, it depends what you're into. Because the Canucks have wars, like the Canucks have less space to maneuver, but they have the star, whereas the Sens need that star, but you have all of the flexibility in the world to get it. Yeah, and like even the chance of getting someone like that with like a Stutzel or something, you know. And again, maybe he doesn't. That's quite it's quite possible he just turns into a good player or whatever. But like, yeah, for me with Ottawa, it's just like their only bad contract is the Nikita Zaitsev one. And I guess Austin Watson, if you want to call it that, but it's 1.5 million. You can just bury that in the minors for a 300 K cap hit. Right. Like, but Zaitsev is the only bad contract they have on this team. There's so much freedom to do whatever they want with the rest of it. Like you have Dadanov three years, 5 million, Colin white, five years, 4.7 million. And then the only long-term contract they have on their books is Thomas Shabbat at eight by seven, I think, because it kicked in last year. So yeah, like contract, yeah, and, like, I guess you have Matt Murray, too. But, like, there's just so much – it'd be so easy to move on from so many, I think, of the, the pieces on this team if they're not working out where it's, like – and they still have three second-round picks this upcoming year. So, it's, like, I don't know. Like, this team, I think, even before the draft, you maybe even could have made an argument to be higher just for picking the guys who maybe, you know, scouts would have picked more often. But, I like, I just – I find it hard to believe that this team isn't one of the brightest futures in the league. Yeah, exactly. I, I had him as an honorable mention, like I said, instead, and I put the Canucks on instead because of the, the luck. Like, even smart people need such an incredible amount of luck to find a Pedersen or a Matthews-level talent that, like, it could, through no fault of the Senators, take a really long time to find that guy. Yeah, for sure. And like, like, if you just miss a lottery on a good year and then hit a lottery on a bad year like that could set you back a while because you have Nico Hishay instead of Austin Matthews kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And like, I don't know, with the Canucks, like that's not a bad pick either. It's just, there's a lot of, the good thing for the Canucks is that um, other than the Myers contract, really, most of their contracts are up after next year or the year after that. So it's like you have one or two more years of just absolute hell and then then you should be good, right? But like those one or two years are going to be tough to try and make sure everyone fits because – Pedersen's due for a raise next year, and that is going to be uh, a tough one to fit under the cap while not getting worse, just in terms of who you're going to have to lose to make sure you can adjust for that, right? Like, Oh, yeah, that'll probably be like a $10 million contract. Yeah, which like should take up the space that Sutter, Pearson, and Barshi give you. So then you're freeing up 6 mil from Edler, 2 mil from uh, um, Jordy Ben, but then Thatcher Demko needs a raise as well, so you're going to have like eight mil or so to play around with that. Right. And, and Quinn Hughes is up next year too. Yeah. Yeah. The those two at the same time would be rough, but I just, I like having the certainty of superstars going forward, even if it will be a pain in the ass to maneuver for one, one or two years, 
I would also yep. want the Canucks be very comfortable being bad this year, which if you are comfortable with the Canucks being bad this year, I think their future could look even brighter with another like top prospect. Yeah, I think the market would be extremely disappointed in it, but like it wouldn't be the worst thing for the franchise. Yeah, like for their long-term health. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think that would be a tough sell to the market probably after last year, but still. Well, people would be pissed if you made the second <laughs> yeah. round. We're like, yeah, we're going for like a pick somewhere from like five to ten range. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming we both have the last number one then, right? Because we've gone, we've had five, four, three, and two for each of us. Yep. One um, so what one's the Colorado Avalanche, correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think they might've been one last year too, if I'm not mistaken, but um, yeah, I mean like it, it's weird that they've gotten into a better position since last year. Like that shouldn't happen in the NHL, but it, it, it does like um, you know, they've kind of tried to shore up their depth. They still have bone Byram, the miners. Um, they managed to fleece the Chicago Blackhawks to get rid of Zadorev and bring in sod. Um, they, had a great trade to bring in Devon Taves. So now they have one of the best blue lines in the league. I'd say probably, I don't know. We talked about this, I think a couple weeks ago, but I think they probably, in my opinion, the third best blue line and the deep and one of the deepest, like there's just like, there's no holes in the blue line either. Whereas like Nashville, their bottom pair is a bit of a question, but they have so much freaking high end talent. It doesn't really matter. Right. Exactly. Well, this team, assuming like McKinnon's been better than Matthews, the past two years, assuming that stays the same, they're basically just like, what if everything about the Leafs were better? Yeah, like, it's just like, yeah, I mean, like, I think the Leafs maybe have one more high-end forward than them, but, like, at the same time, it's not that much different, and, like, McKinnon being better than Matthews, is even if it's just a bit of a gap, is still such a gap that it's, like, because of how high-end that talent is, where it's like, geez, like, this is just, it's literally insane, you know, like... Yeah, they're literally just the Leafs with a little bit of compound V injected in them. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, um, like I like their D. I don't like their decor more than the Leafs. You know, and like I don't even hate the Leafs decor. I've I've defended it more, and I've defended it this year. But like, they don't have a Kale McCarr. Like, as good as Morgan yeah. Riley is, like Kale McCarr is going to take another step forward. You'd assume this year, you know. So like, they kind of have. They can stay equal as Gerard and Taves, but then like. Eric Johnson, Ian Cole, and Ryan Graves, like that's a tough comparison on the Leafs bottom three unless Sandine really steps up, right? Like Exactly. And then there's the prospects thing where like I think people can get a little too caught up in depth at prospects. So like the odds of a good team having a prospect of Bowen Bram's quality coming up is so low that like it's just nuts that they have that coming up still. Yeah, and they have a and they have a fallback option that's Connor Timmons, who like if it wasn't for concussions, would literally be in the NHL right now, which is just, and like, even up front, they have some decent prospects in Martin Cout and Shane Bowers. Like, like, I don't like, they just, they're so stacked everywhere. Like, it's just like, this is such an easy call for uh, um, me. I don't know, just for, I think anyone, like, I I don't know. I think if you pulled the league, who who would be the team you want to take over going forward? I don't see how Colorado is not the favorites by, and like 50% chosen, honestly. Like they're and they don't really have bad contracts. Like the Ryan Graves deal is really unnecessary, but it's not like a boat anchor going forward either. No, like it's um, it's three mil, which yeah, it's probably a little more than you need to pay him. But like if that's your absolute worst contract, which I think it is, maybe the Jonas Don Donskoy one is if he doesn't show he's a little better. But like if your two absolutely worst contracts are three point one mil and three point nine mil for like a third line winger and a third pair defenseman, geez, you're probably pretty set. 
Yeah, exactly. Like they have the high end talent. Their depth isn't like amazing, but like it's definitely good enough to be an elite team with given how good the stars are and their decor. So there's really yeah, nothing about it. And you could just tinker with that depth as you need to as well, right? Like you know, like you saw you saw how easy it was for them to just add a Brandon Sod, like add someone who's even partly as good as Brandon Sod in your set, like on the depth, right? And you know, and even like in their prospect system, they, they drafted another defenseman, Justin Barron, this year's draft, and John Luke Foudy is a center. Like they're just they're so stacked everywhere, it's not even fair. Yeah, exactly. And like they're gonna lose Sod after this year, but it's like you can just find like one and a half Tyler Ennises on this team. Like they don't need amazing depth. They just need decent depth, which is pretty easy to find cheap in free agency. Yep. Um, okay, let's go to the bad con uh, bad teams that you wouldn't want to take over. Um, so I had two kind of dishonorable mentions, and these are teams I really couldn't fit on the top five, but I did want to say because they would never be here in past years, I think you got to give at least a little bit of consideration to the Pittsburgh Penguins and St. Louis Blues in terms of if you're going for a cup long term. Yeah, that is 100% fair, especially the Blues. They have a lot more long-term contracts that I really don't like. Yes, like the and especially without Petrangelo now, it's like, well, at least with Petrangelo, you could argue you have four years or whatever maybe to go for it. And I don't mind that. I like the Tory Krug deal, but I don't like Tory Krug compared to Petrangelo, and I don't think he'll age necessarily all that well either. So it's like, well, what are you going to do, right? So, I, And then with Pittsburgh, it's like, Assuming, you know, I like, think bad deals are just smaller. Yeah, and the problem is like you're not trading Crosby or Malkin. No. You're, you're, you're not, right? Like you, you can't. Like I'm assuming like we say no ownership, but like you, you would be fired on the spot if you traded Sidney freaking Crosby. Yeah, exactly. And like but the thing I do like about Sid is like even if you wanted to retool a little bit, like the um San Jose Sharks did where they picked up like a ninth overall pick while Jumbo and Marlowe were still on the roster and good. Like you yeah, could still I'm, probably go at it for a late career renaissance with them if you retooled in a smart way. Yeah, but then you got, you got to figure out what to do with the contracts of Math, Michael Matheson and like even Brandon Tanev doesn't have a good deal. Um, I don't know. Like there's yeah, just a lot of money on this team where it's oof. It's not great. Just a decent chunk of bad deal. Rutherford has really dicked this. Yes, um, considering how good he looked when he first came in, yeah, it's been pretty ugly. Yeah, like they, they had obviously they were never going to have like a bright tenure outlook because they were in win now mode. But like, it man, they've made this roster look a lot worse than it needed to. Yeah. Um, okay, so those are my just kind of honorable, well, not really honorable mentions. This one was tough because it has one of my favorite players in the entire league on it. But number five, I have the Anaheim Ducks, and. It's honestly just because of how little they freaking have on this roster. There's just nothing here. Yeah, I kind of considered that, but I don't think they have enough, like, terrible long-term deals for me to put in here. They don't have a bunch of brutal money, which is good, so it's like you can kind of play around with it if you took it over, which is nice, but, like, you really have to build this thing from the ground up. Like, really from the ground up. strong prospect pool to start with and then like they already have like do they us what from what i've read from prospect people it is it's not like amazing but it's like because like the problem is everyone keeps going oh sam Steele and um the other guy's name troy terry they're gonna come in as their own guess how old they are they're 22 and the 23 and they barely showed anything in the nhl level yeah zgress is the zgress is good yeah um, like you're still tanking to find your stars if you're this team. 
Yeah, you're, you're going to need to be bad. And, like, but the reason I say it hurt me is because you also have a John Gibson on your roster who, like, but even the problem with that is, like, if John Gibson is anything close to the John Gibson we saw last year, that's going to be an albatross of a contract. Yeah, and it's tough to tank with a guy. Like, I don't think he'll be that good or that – I think bad. he'll be better than last year. Yeah. But, like, the, that's not necessarily a good thing because the easiest way to tank is just have dog shit goaltending. Yeah, exactly. So – um. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just looked up uh, top prospects for the Anaheim Ducks. This was a year ago, August first, twenty nineteen. Uh, Zegris was first. Sam Steele was second at twenty one years old. Uh, Troy Terry at twenty two years old was three. Uh, Isaac Lindstrom. Like, it's just like, and so there's been one draft pretty much, and we'll see who they took because I think they did have a decent draft this year. I remember people liking it online, anyways. Yeah. Um. But like. I don't know. Like it's just, it's just a team where there's just so little. Oh yeah, they got Drysdale as well and Jacob Perot. So th- those are two really good picks. But there's just so little to kind of work around right now. Where it's like, and there's just like even trading off some assets. Like they don't have a ton to trade either. No, like you could you could probably win a Manson deal. I would assume. And yeah. like, but like, are you winning a Lindholm deal? Like you might just have to trade him to reset unless you just want him to be the 28 year old that's there when you're trying to come out of a rebuild. But yeah, I think the, the Lindholm deal, if you lose it, it's like, a, well, he just really didn't fit with our window. So we have to yeah. kind of give up on this good player to for future wins kind of thing. Which like, if that's what you're justifying. Also, they have like 6.6 mil going to Corey Perry this year from the buyout. It's like, oh my God. And it's not like they really need it, but like they're over the cap right now. See, that is not good. No, like they're they're not they're only nine hundred k. So I'm assuming they'll just send someone down or like. And I think I don't even know if Adam Hamrick's playing or whatever, but like it's just it's not good. And like Ryan Kessler, who knows if he's ever going to play again? But if he wants to come back, there's six point eight for I don't know. It's just it's best that he doesn't because then you can just leave him on LTIR. Yeah, there's just not anything really good about this team. But. No, there's not anything really good. I I don't like the Fowler contract either, but like, I just don't think it's necessarily bad enough because I think you could tank for like two to three years and it would just be fine. Like you wouldn't be expected. To kind of, but like again, like the issue is like you're you're either gonna tank, and if your tank's successful, it means John Gibson's bad, which is not a good thing for your cap sheet in the long term. Or John Gibson's gonna be good, and you're not gonna be bad enough to tank because you have the best goalie in the world. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I guess maybe your option then at that point is just trade the best goal, like, and try and get a haul for him. But, like, when's the last goalie we saw traded that, like, brought back a haul? Like, Schneider, maybe? Ninth overall pick for Schneider. And, like, yeah. you could probably do that. Gibson is probably even better than Schneider was at that time in his life, assuming he bounces back to his normal self. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, who do you have at five? Five? I had the Islanders. Yeah. I had them at three. So. Okay. That's fair. I just there's just so much dead. We brought this up earlier. Just terrible contracts everywhere. Like it's just it's so bad, dude. Like like they're like, mediocre enough. Better either. Like is the worst part. They're mediocre enough with like quality coaching that like they'll probably be vaguely in the playoff hunt. Like they're not going to bottom out, and yet they're not going to win the cup either. Like they're just so no. bland, and they're such an expensive. And long-term version of Blanc. Yeah, they got to what? Was it game six of the Eastern Conference Finals this year, or was it even game seven? 
remember might have been game six i think nhl playoffs i think you're right but either way they go within a game or two of the um stanley cup finals and that i would assume um is going to be the closest they get in just with this core you know like yeah it was game six by the way but like it just it kind of has shades of like um 2017 senators written all over it except like the fall might not be quite that hard but also because they couldn't go out and do anything this offseason because their cap sheet is already a mess. Yeah, like Lou Lou has dicked this team. It's nothing should ever surprise you in the Toronto market, but it almost surprises me that people think that want him back in Toronto. Yeah, well, I mean just like it's so short and then the problem is and like I don't know, like cuz I've also heard arguments where it's like, well, the core for this team is now, now, which like Kind of, I guess, but that's just because of the players. Like, I don't know, like, because you can't do a full rebuild with Matthew Barzell at age 24 is the issue. So, like, I get trying to go for it, but, like, this just isn't a good enough roster to really go for it either. And, like, yeah, so like, compo- compounding that issue with just making sure you have the same man roster for another six years just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, exactly. Like, the core, it's a true statement, I guess, the core is now. But, like, when the core is bad, that's not a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't know. Like, there's some pieces that are good on this team. Noah Dobson, uh, Matthew Barzell, Wallstrom, Sorokin. Um, who else saved the Miners? Defenseman. Uh, they Bodie Wild. Bodie Wild really was drafted second round, I think. Yeah, maybe I'm just thinking. The other semester. Yeah. yeah, 24 years old. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, they have some okay pieces, but it's just like. It, there's just so many contracts where it's like if you had one or even two of these on most teams, you wouldn't really care all that much. But like with seven or eight of them on this team, it's like, oh my God, this is brutal. Yeah. Like if you just look at the top of their forward cap sheet, like all of them suck. Yeah. They're all garbage. Like you so, literally have to go down to Bavillier to find a contract that you're like, oh yeah, he probably provides more wins than his contract implies. And he is their like ninth highest paid forward. <laughs> like it's uh, it's bad, dude. Like it's it's horrible. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have them at three for that reason. Uh, just because you know they have some good pieces, but like, geez, the bad is just so, going to be so hard to move around for the next four or five years, or you're going to be mediocre for a while, and then probably three years into Barzell's extension, you're going to be bad, and it's going to be ugly. Yeah, I actually think I'd move them up if I was redoing this, but I had them five. Um, so who do you have four then? I had the Minnesota Wild. I also had the Minnesota Wild at four. Yeah, I was matching fours on both sides. There we go. Um, I almost said Minnesota three, but I forgot about the Islanders when I first made this list, if I'm being honest. And I was like, no, nah, I'm sorry. Like, there's just... I'd slightly rather take Minnesota just because their cap sheet's a little bit cleaner, which is freaking insane to say about a team that just signed Jared Spurgeon to like an eight-year deal at 30 years old for seven and a half, still have the Sutter and Parise deals for five years, and have Matt Zuccarello for four at six. Somehow that's still a better cap sheet than what the Islanders have. And that Brodeen contract. Oh, and Brodeen contract. Eight years, and he's going to be 28 when it kicks in. Yeah. So, um... But, like, I, I don't know. Like, you just you look at the pros and cons compared to this team and the Islanders. It's close. Like, I think you could make an argument for three or four for either of the teams on my personal list. But it's like, um, you know, I think the the 
the wild are starting to have some of the high end talent we see from the Islanders too. And like, if Kirill Kaprasov is anything close to what he's supposed to be, like he's going to be at least really good. And they drafted um, Rossi Rossi, who should be, who looks like he could be just unreal too. Right. So like they have a decent prospect. They, they're starting to get a decent prospect pool, but like there's going to be a lot of gross on this team for a while. Right. Yeah, actually I, I would like to flip the Islanders in Minnesota for sure. Cause like, between I, – I just had the Islanders a little lower because of how much I like Barzell. But, like, between Fiala, Rossi, and Kaprizov, the expected value there is probably more than Barzell on his own, even though that's a guaranteed superstar. Yeah. So, I don't know. It gets close. I think you could really toss them up either way here. Like, I have them three or four. I could switch them. You have them four or five. You could switch them. Like, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, there's just a lot of – like them, it's they're weird because like they have a bunch of contracts that are fine right now on the blue line, but are just ugly long term propositions. Yeah, it's just hideous. It's like just disgusting. Um, so, and like I don't know, like do they have an answer in net going forward? Uh, I guess they have Hunter Jones. Uh, yeah, maybe they like maybe they have guys they want, but like there's just not a lot of good going on here. Yeah, there's there's not much there. They have yeah those. Kaprizov, Rossi, and uh, Fiala are their big upside things going forward. And then you just pray Spurgeon and, and Suter. Like, and Kellen Addison can play. Like, you just hope yeah. that he comes through. Yeah, they I don't know. They have two first picks, too, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, like, they're not in the worst absolute position, but it's just, like, they really need – you really need to rebuild this. And, like, even the problem with all these contracts is they're so long that when you're going to be paying your um, – guys that are coming in now in a couple of years, uh, you're still going to be in trouble with these, right? So, Yeah, like they could tank pick first overall for the next two years, and that suitor contract will be hurting like when those RFA deals are up. So will the Brodeen, Spurgeon, Parise deals. Yeah, and maybe even Zuccarello like, for the one anyways, right? Like So th- that's just how bad it is. But um... – I don't. I don't. Do you have anything else to say on that on the Wild? No, it's too bad because I always want to like Minnesota, but there's just nothing there to love. I've never once wanted to like Minnesota my entire life. <laughs> there, nothing about that team was left-handed, and I was. I hate using right-handed players in Shell, so <laughs> I always loved Minnesota Wild. And their only right-handed player was Jared Spurgeon, who I also loved using in Shell. <laughs> so I've always had a soft spot for them, but. Yeah. yeah, there's not many reasons to like them. All right. Um, so who do you have at three then? At three? I have a team that I think I'm slightly too harsh on the more I look over the cap sheet, but it's Chicago. Yeah, I didn't even have them on my list. I uh, Hmm. The one I didn't really think of, but I probably should have. They would have been definitely in my top seven or eight probably. Yeah, there's another the like – long-term damage that I think a lot of these other teams have. So I'd move them down, but like it is really ugly for right now. Yeah. Like it's the good thing. I think if we were taking it over is we would come in with the expectations that this GM just set, but like not that it's a retool, it's a hard rebuild. So like you could suck for two years or whatever. And the contract, by the time you're done sucking, the contracts won't be on the books to hurt you. So that's good. At least like, but there's like it's it's one of those definitely where it's like you need to acquire a lot of the high end talent you're gonna want going forward here. Exactly. So my original thought was between the Rossi Fiala Kaprizov combo and then Barzell, like they don't even have one piece like that. 
like the Brinkett's good, but I don't think he has like strong link team leader potential going forward. So like you would need to find those guys and you obviously need to draft them by being really bad for a while. Yeah, I mean like you need Kirby Doc to be like really good. Like really yeah. good. But even like this year they ruined their draft spot because they went on to the first round. Yeah. You know, like they, they should have been picking seventh overall or whatever it was this year, and so they picked seventeenth and picked up Lucas Reichel, who should be a decent prospect, but like it's just it's not the difference between seven and seventeen is so huge in a draft, right? Like especially yeah, like a top ten or whatever is like and then the mm-hmm. value starts falling off pretty quickly after that. Yeah, so um yeah, it's definitely a team where you're gonna need to do a lot of the heavy lifting yourself. Um, you know, it's not like where where you're gonna be in cap purgatory for a while, but like yeah. And like I, this is a team where I think the um pandemic really screwed it would screw them too, and who knows if Kane would even want to move, but I absolutely think a team would pick up Kane or even Duncan Keith if you trade Duncan Keith this year. I actually think there'd be like a very large bidding war for Kane. Yeah, I mean, the only problem is fitting 10 and a half. But if you're willing to take on dead money back, like... Yeah, like if they would retain half on Kane, I think there would be a large, large bidding war for him. Which yeah, is something uh, I would and, more than doing if I was the GM. Yeah, exactly. So like, um, you know, and, and same with even like Duncan Keith. If you retained half on Duncan Keith, or not even half, just a couple to get him down to four or whatever. Like, I honestly think there would be a lot of teams who... And, you know, if you do it before this year, before teams realize how washed he is, would still even just have that, like, three-game series against Edmonton in their mind and be like, yeah, Duncan Keith's our guy. Let's go get him. Yeah, I could 100% see that. Now why I do think I was a little too harsh on them is, like, when the guys that they draft, they have no contracts that will be bad by the time those guys' ELCs are up, which the other teams on our list all do have plenty that will still suck then. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think um, they're you're probably a little too hard on them here, but uh, that's all right. Like, they're, it's not like they're a good team. I think they would still probably be bottom ten. They'd easily be bottom ten for me as well. So. Oh yeah, it's not fun. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm assuming we're probably going to have the same one and two, but maybe in a different order. I'll go two. I'll go with my two first. The San Jose Sharks. Oh, we have the same one and two. Yeah. I have and then. Okay, so then maybe. I feel like we definitely have to have the same one, but uh, we'll save it. We'll save it for a second anyways. Um, so San Jose, yeah, like I think they were in my bottom five last year as well, even after coming off an Eastern Conference final run, which is was crazy to say, but like this is exactly why this past year exactly what happened, and stuff doesn't look much better. You know, they didn't uh, – they came third last, and they didn't have their own pick. So, you know, that went to Ottawa. So it's not like you have some stud prospect you can come in in a couple years. So – really they're going to probably take a run at the playoffs for the next two or three years and then just have to sink into a full-on rebuild. And like the exact same thing we just said about the Hawks, about how they're not going to have anyone on their cap long-term, exact opposite for the San Jose Sharks, because as much as I love Carlson, that's going to be an ugly deal. Like Brent Burns, that's going to be an ugly deal. Vlasic is already an ugly deal. Um, Couture is going to be an ugly deal. Kane's going to be an ugly deal. Like, there's just a lot of bad, and Martin Jones is already a bad deal. So, like, there's a lot of bad money on these books. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think all the Carlson is washed stuff is, like, super overdone. Like, I'm sure if you posted a GIF every time Jared Spurgeon got walked, there would be enough content on Twitter to make him look bad, too. But, like, by the time he's, like, 35, there's no way that Carlson contract's good. No, not at all. Like, and, like, I think I've been a 
Um, definitely an advocate of the um, um, the the rest is probably Carlson probably benefits more than any one person or team in the league from having just nine and a half months off because you know his skills not going anywhere but his body was so freaking broken over the past two years where hopefully if he just had nine full months off he's in shape he's got a full reset hopefully his groin feels better his wrist feel better his ankle feels a little bit better he could come out and I think he might just tear up the league this year yeah I think he but, definitely could but even if he does like. But, like, still, he's still got seven years left on this contract. He's already 30 years old, right? So, yeah. Like, he's got a bad long term contract, and yet he's got the third worst of all the blue liners. Yeah, just the blue liners, too. Like, maybe even fourth or fifth worst on the team, you know, which is like, like, he could be elite for two more years yet after this one, and then just go to second, third, uh, second or third pair defenseman for the last four. And that still looks ugly, but it still might not be as ugly as some other guys on this blue line or team. Yeah, exactly. So, and like, honestly, like, I think you could make an absolute argument that this should be the worst team too. Like, I I think it's, but one and two was close with, for me. Yeah. Like just given the, the massive, like they just have anchor after anchor after anchor for their future. Yep. Yeah. It's just like, it's so bad. And like, it was it was easy enough for us to for people to just kind of shoo that off and they go yeah it's not looking great in the future but who cares they just made the conference final last year right and then what happens this year they go third last and it's like well even if you're somewhere in the middle of that with this cap sheet you do not want to be the 16th best team in the NHL yeah exactly like just just a terrible place to be and like I love Timu Meyer but like. He's not exactly like build your franchise around prime Timo Meyer kind of thing. No, it's just like how do you like you can't move any of these contracts really either. Like, I think Carlson's value around the league is probably you're not going to get a team biting on him for that long. I don't think you're going to find a team bite on Couture or Kane. Maybe, but like I doubt it. And maybe you get one of them, but definitely not Vlasic. Definitely not Burns either. I don't think so. Like, yeah, where, like where where are you finding the way to move this money, right? Yeah, because COVID hurts them now that everybody's poor. It's like it was already going to be difficult because you're trying to dump these contracts. Good luck trying to get people to take them now. Yeah, exactly. So, um, number one, worst team takeover or that we'd least want to. It's got to be Arizona, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I flip-flopped on these two teams, um, but I eventually settled on Arizona just because of how bad their whole year has been. They didn't have a first, second, or third this year, and their fourth they took a – scumbag who they immediately um, recused his rights as soon as um, there was social pushback online. Um, Next year, they don't have a first or a third round pick. And their team is um, the definition of the most average team I've ever seen in the world. Yep. It's uh, the first round pick is what really did it for me after already not having one. Yeah. Yeah. Like two in a row where it's like, and this team's just not going to be good. And like, the other thing is too, like they just they're locked into so many contracts that are just so mad. Like it's not like San Jose where like we just listed off five contracts of guys in their thirties that are bad. Like this team has five of their blue liners going off next year, but they still have Ekman Larson seven more years, eight point two five. Clayton Keller seven more years, seven or six more years, seven point one five. The Clayton Keller deal, I will take that before I take a Burns or Vlasic or Couture deal any day of the year. But that's just because I'm hoping that he can at least get to a seven mil value and stay there. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is he a seven million dollar player right now? 
I don't know if he quite is. Yeah, it's dicey. It's like his but, underlying numbers are just absolutely not. Yeah, so like, I don't. Same with like Nick Schmaltz. Like, is Nick Schmaltz a six million dollar player right now? No, that I'm far more confident. Yeah, and he's already twenty four, so it's like he's not getting much better. Christian Dvorak, four point four. It's like, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's like you just the money you are locked into is just so meh, and the rest of the team is so meh or bad. Where it's like, what do you do with this? And there's just no way out for the next two years. So like, maybe I'm being too harsh, just in terms of like. If you're taking them over, it's under the understanding that, like, you're not going to be good again until 2023, 2024, right? So you have a couple years to work with the draft. But, like, still, like, this team is just so ugly to, you know, they're just – and, like, I don't think they really have that much in terms of prospects either. Yeah, exactly. And, like, basically they need to get lucky and knock draft picks out of the park. But – that's really difficult to do when you didn't have a first last year, you don't have a first this year or a third this year. You didn't have a first, second, or third this past year. Your first pick yeah. was the 95th overall pick in the fourth round, and you took some complete scumbag who will never play a game for you in your organization. Good job. And you knew about it. You knew all about it too, like, right? Like it's not like just this secret dark past. Like, no, 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 no. Like you took – like, I don't know. Like I just – it blows my mind. Blows my mind. But, yeah, um, it is. you know, but the worst part is, like, even if they have a, a fire sale, unless they trade Darcy Kemper, which, honestly, maybe they will, this team is just going to finish, like, 20th, I think, every year for the next, like, year or two. Because, like, yep. as, as, as much as I say I don't like Clayton Keller or them, like, they're good enough to be, like, the 20th best team or whatever. And you're not getting a high-end pick, I don't think. Yeah, because they, they have a competent roster with great goalies. And, like, it's hard to be. They don't have a good roster, but like with Darcy Kempfer, he can take a meh roster to like 18th in the league pretty easily. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I, I think this is, you could make an argument in my opinion anyways, that San Jose is worse than this just because of how bad for how long those contracts are going to be. Um, yeah, that's but like, this is definitely the bleakest right now to just step into and go, oh my God. Yeah. Cause you're going to tank without a first round pick. Not because you want to. You have to. For the second year in a row. Well, not even for the second year in a row. They were close. They they technically made the playoffs by winning that play-in round this year. But still, like, I, I don't know. I just uh, – it's not it's, – it's, it's an ugly scene there. That's for sure. Um, all right. That's probably good. This is a pretty long podcast, I think. But uh, honestly, for how little news there is around the NHL, and I'm still happy that we're um, cranking out podcasts every week. We are going to have a guest on next week for the first time in a while. And – uh, if you guys have been listening to us for any amount of time, you will know who this guest is, but we'll keep it a secret for now. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, you can check my workout and Chase's workout at lastwordonhockey.com. Chase actually has something new out. Do you want to tell the readers about that? Yeah, so I'm doing my, like, fourth year, like, summative to graduate prospect on hockey. And I'm doing it on – I'm using free agency data to quantify – who takes a discount and like for which teams and why. And the first thing I have, which affects who takes a discount is based on the tax rate. I was really skeptical that taxes actually mattered in the NHL. I kind of just thought it was something people were using to justify the Tampa Bay lightning, getting good contracts when in reality it was just because Tampa Bay was good, but it turns out uh, there, there is some effect to players taking cheaper contracts because of taxes. And I kind of wrote about that. 
Um, yeah, exactly. So go check that one out on lastrunonhockey.com. Um, for me, um, I, I launched my first podcast this week for my Last Word on Sends podcast. So uh, obviously I said this week, this is going to be going on every week. It will. I'm trying to do a weekly Sends podcast as well. So if you're someone who is a Sends fan listening to this and you want uh, more Sends content, uh, I'll be doing that. So I, I launched the first one this week with uh, Trevor Shackles this past week. And then uh, I, rec- I recorded with Matt Bosty, who uh, is a big guy, big guy on NHL or on Sens Twitter, sorry. And he's a hilarious dude. So that one will be coming out this weekend right around the same time this comes out as well. So check that out. You can find that podcast anywhere you listen to this podcast. Um, and then I also had a piece out on mile high hockey this week as well. Uh, and it was about how the Colorado avalanche need to improve their special teams because it turns out both their power play and penalty kill freaking sucks. Um, so sucks comparative to where it should be anyways. Um, so yeah, you can check that out. You can find chase on Twitter at CM hockey 66 me on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff for all the latest updates. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you all next week.